Hey, Cookville Nazarene Church. Uh, we're back on uh, our weekly podcast this week. want to apologize for the three-week hiatus. We uh, had uh, had a, a full week, one week, where just things got away from me and I didn't get it done, just being real honest. And then uh, our sound person had a, a personal emergency and so we weren't able to produce the next week and, uh, and then we had a we had a, a cookout uh, to celebrate freedom a couple weeks ago and just to get our folks back together midweek uh, for fellowship and fun so um, anyway uh, it's good to be back with you maybe you forgot where we've been at we've been in the book of Ecclesiastes uh, doing the study that we're entitled entitling uh, man's search for meaning and just to kind of catch you up, wanted to ask you, do you have a keychain with like dozens of keys on it? Um, or or have you worked somewhere where you had that kind of keychain? Just one that was like so big that you can't fit it in your pocket. Uh, just so many keys of small ones and uh, medium-sized ones, copied ones from walmart or lowe's and original brass ones to uh you know what i mean like just a, a keychain full of locks to all kinds of rooms to safes to lock boxes to doors indoor outdoor uh in topeka at the fairlawn church the nazarene i had a set that i couldn't even stuff half of it into my pocket i mean this the, the building there was enormous it had like three or four stages of additions that had been built onto it over the years. And so there were all kinds of different doors and just keys for everything. Thermostats and uh, copy machines and just all kinds of stuff. Um, and when I moved there, uh, they gave me this giant key set and none of it was marked. Like, what does it go to? And my secretary was able to tell me like a, a few, just a few of the main ones. And then she was like, I don't know about the rest. And after I got to know her a little bit, I approached her one day and I just said, Lane, could you help me uh, by figuring out what all these keys go to and labeling them for me? And she looked at me and um, with grace and uh, kindness she agreed to do that it took her a whole eight hour day no joke <laughs> to check all those keys and make a list and then lay and then make labels for them uh it oh it saved my life so many times uh to have those keys labels because it, it could still take me easily 10 minutes to find the right key if I didn't know what I was looking for. 10, 15 minutes to go through that stack, that giant mound of keys to find what I was looking for. Even with it labeled, even after all the work that Lane had done for me, uh, it, it was still a massive chore. And I tell you that story just because it's a, that's kind of a microcosm of Solomon's search for meaning. He's trying to find the right key to unlock it. And he's being the wealthiest man who ever lived, having the gift of wisdom given to him straight from God. Uh, he had he had just a giant key ring full of options for how to unlock meaning. And he tried it all. He tried it all. Um, but it, it none of it worked. And uh, we started this whole series in chapter one, and he he gave he gave his conclusion of this giant search right off the bat because ancient, Poetic literature like Ecclesiastes is circular, not linear. That is, you know, linear a linear um, linear literature would just build the case from the very beginning to the very end in chronological order. But in circular literature, you might start with the conclusion, you might start with the question, but as no matter where you start, you go round and round. Uh, thoroughly examining every angle of every possibility. And some of it will sound redundant. We've talked a little bit about this in previous weeks, that if it sounds redundant, we have to remember that God p 
put this in his word. So it must be something that we struggle with. It must be something that we need uh, to really understand its importance by seeing the redundance of it. Um, there, there's just a reason that it's here, and and there's and uh, and we we would do well to pay attention to it. Now, um, where Solomon begins is. Uh, is that he eventually found the right key. He found what unlocks meaning. And what, what is the key that unlocks meaning? Well, he, he says from the outset, knowing God and living a surrendered life to him, uh, ultimately with our knowledge where we're at, to Jesus, living a surrendered life to Jesus is the only thing that has meaning. All other things get their meaning from that, knowing God and living a life surrendered to him. I want to say that again because that's, I think, really, really good. All other things get their meaning from knowing God and living a life surrendered to Jesus. That's the bottom line. So that's the bottom line. It's not everything we talked about, but it's the bottom line of everything that we've talked about in the first half of this series. And that's where we're at. We're at kind of the halfway point. This is week nine of uh, 16 or 17 studies we'll do in this book. Um, so... In our circular study, we're picking up in chapter 5 uh, this time with Solomon revisiting the topic of money. So that's why I told you about the circular literature, because we have talked some about this already, but now Solomon's back around to it, and it actually won't be the last time he talks about it, which is natural, because money makes the world go round, as they say, right? Um, and so today, I want to read this whole passage to you, and I'll be reading actually in the New Living Translation, because even though the New Living Translation is not uh, the most literal or word-for-word -word translation, um, it just, it does this time, it, as, I, as I've looked even at Hebrew meaning and stuff, it does really hit the nail on the head in a way that is um, easier to understand, and so rather than spending tons of time explaining the verbiage here, I think I can just read this to you and you can understand it. So let's start Ecclesiastes 5, verse 8, and I'm going to read through verse 20, okay? Um, it says, Don't be surprised if you see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful, and if justice is being miscarried throughout the land. For every official is under orders from higher up, and matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. Even the king milks the land for his own profit. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. There is another serious problem I have seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour and everything is lost. In the end, there's nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. Even so, I have noticed one thing at least that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. And it is good, a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. Now, I'm sure we could find more, but in this passage, Solomon boils it down to five problems with making money the number one priority in life. Five mistakes caused by living for the almighty dollar. Okay, so first is this. That is the mistake of making mistakes. And, and every one of my points this evening is going to be an M word. So the first is mistakes. The mistake of making mistakes. And what I mean by that is when you put money as the top priority in your life, or when you find that it is a primary stressor in your life, that is that you're giving it too much importance, 
either subconsciously or consciously. And that, that's so important when we're talking about sin, when we're talking about God's Word. We have to, we, we can't just dismiss things just because we think we don't consciously do it, because there are so many dysfunctional behaviors that flow out of us subconsciously. So anyway, um, so whether money claims priority in your life subconsciously or consciously, when it does, you will do things that are wrong to get rich and to stay rich. That's what verse 8 and 9 says. It says, hey, don't be surprised if you see poor people being oppressed by the powerful and justice being miscarried throughout the land because people in power, people with influence, milk the land for their own profit. They say that the, the verses say we can see the dysfunction in individual decision making when we can see in society the oppression of the poor and the perversion of justice. Solomon says when we see that people are willing to do things that hurt people and take advantage of them, we see that people are living for money to find meaning and fulfillment. This dysfunction filters its way from the top where, as I already said, verse 9 says, even the king milks it all the way down to the bottom where the poor steal from the poor, where uh, criminals and... Uh, or, or where, where neighborhoods steal and kill and rob from each other um, in the interest of self-preservation. And this is really, really important, and I'm going to try not to spend a ton of time on this because it's not the main topic, but there is this huge conversation going on in our country right now about systemic racism. Systemic racism. I think we get so hung up on feeling like we're being called racist as individuals that we're missing the forest for the trees. We're missing the more important conversation, and that is the history of a system that has oppressed groups of people, okay? And so you have this group, one group of people that says they are oppressed, and the other side says, well, if you're so oppressed, why don't you seem to care about the poor stealing from the poor, the poor killing... Uh, you know, the, your people killing your own people, etc., etc. And here's the thing, is both have a point. Like, if, if lives matter, then we should be upset about any time life is cheapened, okay? But, but here's the thing, is we better the world by working on ourselves, and when it comes to these conversations, the Christian, the Christian humbles themselves and turns in turns turns the the blaming finger the the examining finger the accountable finger on themselves and says let me look into myself let me and and if if i've already dealt with the heart issue then let me look at the larger systemic issues and how i can speak to and uh, support making systems better than they than they are Okay, um, but it's also important to note that even though I say both sides have a point, Jesus declares judgment in the strongest and most straightforward fashion for those who have the power. And okay, so uh, there is systemic oppression, and if you'd like to have a conversation with me about that, I've got lots of history books. Uh, I've read a ton on this topic about how um, the organized prison system was an extension of slave labor. After slave, slavery had been outlawed, there would, they brought a disproportionate amount of false accusations against people of color, and then they went into the prison system, and then they hired the prison to come and do work on their plantations, and so, in the end, they were enslaving the people of color after they'd been emancipated. The, in big cities, uh, local uh, councilmen and lawyers and, and justice systems intentionally uh, built industry in certain parts of town that they made it illegal or uh, basically chastised and fired real estate agents who sold houses to people of color in that area of town. And so it pushed, 
the people of color away from the good jobs and away from the good houses and the developing neighborhoods. And that's how ghettos and things were formed in many cases. There's, uh, Like I said, if you want to have a civil discussion about this, you could come and sit down with me. We could walk through history and I could loan you a book or two. But what I'm not saying that you contributed to it. And I think that, again, that's something that we get stuck on and miss the larger conversation. But the bottom line is there are things that happened in our country, in, in, in cities and states, that furthered the issues of slavery. And we are not even that far removed from civil rights. So there's going to, the, the scriptures tell us that sin uh, haunts families down to the fourth generation. We're not four generations removed from civil rights. So there is a point that, that, there, that money has caused oppression to occur of, of people. And yes, we need to, we need to value all life and not uh, not disproportionately jump onto hype trains. But when I look at myself, when I, when I humbly um, sit down and say, okay, what is, what is my role in bettering the world? Um, it's to listen to people who are starting from a place of disadvantage uh, because Jesus, Jesus started there. Um, and this, this, is, this is an issue that Solomon points out 3,000 years ago, okay? It's going on 3,000 years ago. Um, I, let's not be so arrogant to think that America has solved a problem that is as old as time, right? Um, so uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. But basically money, power, that power that leads to money uh, leads us into making all kinds of mistakes societally, but also for us personally. If, if money carries a great deal of importance in your life, eventually you will find your price. You'll find a price that convinces you, that sways you into temptation um, and sin. Even people who have a lot, and this is how I know for sure everyone has a price, because, uh, for example, a few years ago, a famous rapper called DMX he was arrested for evasion of a $7,500 hospital bill. The man made $100 million over the course of like six years and yet was arrested to collect on a $7,500 hospital bill. Or what about Martha Stewart, who was imprisoned for insider trading? Okay, these are people who didn't need money. And we look at them and think, why, why would you do that? Like, why do you want more when you already have so much? And why, why, would you, why would you risk consequence for something so little? But it's because everyone has a price. Because money, quote unquote, makes the world go round. And so we can give it too much importance. And somewhere in our heads, we have a price. And, be, and, there, and we may look at Martha Stewart, we may look at some wealthy people who make dumb mistakes, O.J. Simpson, whatever, and think, why would you do that? But people around the world look at you and me and they ask, why do you want more? Why do you so greedily pursue more and more and more? Because comparatively, they look at us and they're like, man, they have way more than me. Uh, this is what 1 Timothy 6 says, about all this. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And, and I'll just stop right there because contentment, man, I'm, I'm discovering that is a secret in the scriptures that we really need to invest more attention to. Because in Philippians, Paul says that I have discovered the secret to, uh, to Christ's strength, and that is to remain content in all things. That, that contentment, godliness with contentment, here Paul says to Timothy, is great gain. He says, he goes on to explain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. If we have basic necessities, be content with that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. He goes on to say, people who want to get rich, they fall into temptation. They make the mistake of making mistakes. 
and a, tra and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So godliness with contentment is great gain, but those who want to get rich do what? They fall. They make mistakes because money is a root of all kinds of evil. And it, it causes us, when we put make it important, to wander away from the faith. To, to, and, and ultimately, I said, we all have a price that leads us into a moral relativism where I decide what's right and wrong for me and no one else, and that standard shifts in one direction or another according to my financial need. We will justify all kinds of things to um, achieve the financial comfort that we desire. And then it says when we do that, we always end up, always end up pierced by many griefs, pierced by many griefs. Okay, and that comes from a desire. Here's the second problem with money. You will live always wanting more. Remember I said all of our points, they start with an M, so we have mistakes, and now we have more. You will always live wanting more. Verse 10 says, those who have money will never have enough. So if the race you're running is for money, you'll never find a finish line because there isn't one. I think it's safe to say that most of us feel like we need to make a bit more money, right? Um, the median household income in Cookville is uh, $33,000, okay? Um, you might say, hey, I'm not greedy. I want to do just a little better than the median income. I'd like to make like 50K a year. Or maybe you'd say, I'd, I'd, I'd just like to do double the median income, so about 65K. Or maybe you say, man, I got some debt trying to get a job to do a little bit better, so 75K would be nice. And that would be just a little bit more than the U.S. median income, which is $59,000 a year, okay? Um so that, so I think a lot of us kind of have a number in our heads where we're like, I would just like to at least be doing that. Uh, but then we all probably have a general idea of a number where we feel like, man, if I could get there, I'd really be happy and I'd want for nothing and that I'd just be set. And so maybe, maybe your number is a hundred K a year. Maybe you'd like to make 1 million a year or whatever. I mean, I think all of us would like to make a little bit more, but I, I think if you if you wouldn't have to think very long to decide, like, this is what would really make me happy to make a year. And whatever your number is, let me ask you this. Do you think when you get to that number, you'll walk into your boss's office and say, all right, boss, now that I've achieved this, you can just keep that number where it is. I don't need any more raises. I don't even need bonuses. I'm good where I'm at forever. Probably not, right? Whenever you get to your number, the target moves, doesn't it? Uh, and Dr. Miller, uh, my pastor in Topeka, and um, pastor, he, he also did the interim time here before I came here. Um, when he talked about money, he talked a lot about how we think a lot about amounts when it comes to giving to God, when it comes to like the amount of money we'd like to make. But he said, what we really need to think about uh, our money in terms of is percentages. We need to think about percentages because what happens whenever we get a raise is it doesn't ease really our financial burden because we said, well, if we could get to this amount, we would be, it would be much easier to pay our debt and be uh, and just live a more secure life. But when you get a raise, you also raise your bills. I mean, that's that's just kind of what we do. We get a raise, and now we feel like, oh, well, yeah, I am a lot, a lot a lot more comfortable now. I could save a little and pay off debt at a faster rate. 
but I've I've really always wanted to do this. I've really always wanted that truck. I've really always wanted to upgrade my TV. And so we raise our bills, don't we? In fact, 43% of American families spend more than they make each year. And how do they do that? I mean, you know, you might be one of those families. That's almost half of American families, credit cards. So getting more doesn't satisfy. It doesn't take care of us because we are always looking for more. The target's always moving. There is no finish line. And something else Dr. Miller pointed out is while when we get a raise, we raise our bills, we raise our assets. But interestingly, when people make more money, generosity goes the opposite direction. The more money people get, the lower their percentage of generosity goes. They might actually give a higher amount than they gave before. But for example, a person making $100 a week might give to the church $5 a week. That's 5%, okay? But then but then a person gets a raise to $1,000 a week and they'll give $20. So 2%. In fact, the average the average professing Christian, even though scripture is clear about this, about giving 10% of all you of all you earn, um, only gives 2% to the church on average. Per people who say they believe the scriptures, they believe everything that God says is truth and the way to live, only give on average 2%. And the more money people make, the lower their percentage of generosity goes, but the higher their own um, expenditures go. So uh, we uh, the target always moves and we're never satisfied. We always want more and that desire never goes away no matter how much we no matter how much we we make. The third problem is money brings an abundance of moochers. <laughs> money brings an abundance of moochers. If you look at verse 11, it says, the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it, right? Um, I think about when I was in college, I got a couple promotions at my job at UPS as I worked through college, and I was pretty well off by college standards, you, you know, college student standards. A lot of students, you know, they, they ate ramen, they grabbed extras from the cafeteria, et cetera, et cetera. In my kitchen dorm, I had, in my dorm kitchen, I had Pop-Tarts and Hot Pockets. And that is living luxury in college compared to ramen noodles. I, and and I, had, I had my own movies. I had a movie library, a music library, a video game library. And let me tell you, there were moochers everywhere. People wanted, they'd come into my room and say, hey, can I get a Pop-Tart? Can I get a Hot Pocket? Can I borrow a couple movies? Can I borrow this game? Et cetera, et cetera. And here's the thing is there is a little bit of appeal in this. I mean, this is part of the reason we chase money, is we like the status. We like the attention. We want to be well thought of. I know I certainly did. We like the status that comes with money. But here's the thing that Solomon points out is what good is, what good is that attention except perhaps to watch the money you've earned, watch the things you've accumulated slip through your fingers? And it makes me think of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son took this giant inheritance and went out and partied like crazy. And he had tons of friends. It says he, he was never lacking company. And they were, everybody was by his side when he was uh, funding these massive parties, these massive benders. But it also says that when he ran out of money, when he had absolutely nothing to eat, when he was completely broke and out on the street and contemplating going to work at a pig farm, no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. So in the end, where was his status? Where are his friends? No one's, no one's there giving him any Pop-Tarts or Hot Pockets in return for all the Pop-Tarts and Hot Pockets he shared with them. They're gone. They're gone. And so money brings an abundance of moochers. It, it, cheapens your relationships and in the end you're left both without money and without friends 
The fourth problem with money is you have the burden of constant maintenance. You have the burden of constant maintenance. What uh, verse 12 says is that, that working hard lends itself to good sleep. Working hard lends itself to good sleep. But the more you earn, the less you sleep. The more you earn, the less you sleep. Why is that? Well, besides the fact that the more you work, uh, or the more you earn, the more you're going to work, whether it's putting in overtime or if you're a CEO or whatever, there's just a lot more work. I mean, the, some of the richest people in the world, they're just constantly working. So besides the work that often goes into riches, there's also more worries to maintaining riches, to maintaining riches. So you you have to think about investments. You have to think about um, more employees and can I trust those employees? And it, there's just so many more details. And so the, you have all this maintenance when you have lots and lots of money, when you have lots and lots of resources. Um, if, on a lesser scale, for example, I really like to take care of the things that I own, the things that I collect, the things that the possessions that I that I prize. And uh, so in college, you know, I told you I had all these movies, these CDs, these video games, and a lot of my friends would come over to borrow my stuff. And I had all this stuff that was supposed to bring me happiness, but I spent an awful lot of time worrying about, you know, taking care of my stuff, getting it back from the people that borrowed it and getting it back in good condition. And when I didn't get it back in a timely manner, when I didn't get it back in good condition, uh, it caused me personal stress as well as relational stress. Uh, and I may have been right. In fact, I, I, if I'm being really honest, I think I was. And you've probably heard me talk about that as a pet peeve before. But that's beside the point. Sometimes you can be right and still be doing the wrong thing. You can be right and sacrifice a relationship. Uh, you can be right and have your priorities out of whack. And that's the issue here, right? The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And I had a love of my things. I had a love of my things. It, 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 it's one thing, it's, it was one thing to have the things, but those things had me. They had my heart. And if you're not careful, it becomes an Ebenezer Scrooge type of situation where you're hoarding things. And that's, that's what he says in verse 13, that there's this serious problem that comes with the riches. And that's that you hoard the riches and it harms your spirit. It harms you as a person. And, and I got to where not only was I uh, obsessing or over and stressing over the care of my stuff, but I was buying new stuff every week and kind of like Ebenezer Scrooge was count his money. I knew like every how many DVDs I had and how many CDs and it was a part of my identity that I have this stuff. And so I loved stuff and it made me miserly like Scrooge. It made me miserly. Now, in contrast, I'm not saying it's wrong to enjoy things. I'm not saying uh, that you shouldn't enjoy things and that you shouldn't have things. In fact, John Wesley, um, a pastor, evangelist, theologian whom I really admire and from whom the Nazarene Church uh, uh, has built its theology, uh, he said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. So um, he was a big believer, and I agree that money in the hands of someone who is sold out to Jesus can do big damage against the enemy's agenda, can do big, dam do, do big influence for advancing the kingdom of God. But there is a key here. See, lots of people, the world would agree, earn all you can, save all you can. But the third thing is what really holds this together, that holding on loosely is crucial, is crucial to this whole thing. And part of that comes from a perspective that Solomon offers up in verse 14. He, he basically says it can all go south really fast. You can go from being rich to having nothing real quick. He talks about risky investments. And right now in the midst of our 
tanking economy during COVID-19. That's that's applicable, right? If any of you have uh, any kind of investments, a 401k that's even modestly uh, invested, you know exactly how riches can suddenly disappear. And it says in the end, there's nothing even to pass on. You, it can disappear just that quick. You know, I like to say today's Justin Bieber is tomorrow's vanilla ice. Um, and, I, and that makes me just think about all the the one-hit wonders in music down through the years. I was a, I, some of you make fun of me for this, I don't care. I was, I was a big boy band fan when I was in high school. I loved NSYNC and Backstreet Boys in particular. Uh, but man, I, I had, I had some obs more obscure boy bands in my collection of music. Uh, like, uh, maybe, maybe you remember, you probably don't, but there was this boy band called LFO and they had the biggest single of the summer uh, one summer called Summer Girls, and I got that song in my head, like the, it's stuck there forever, but whatever happened to them, like they're gone, or there was this band O-Town that won, uh, won a, a reality show, and they made an album with, uh, with P. Diddy, and, and they had, they had a hit about, uh, about guys and, and their minds and whatever, I'm not gonna sing it for you, but, uh, uh, but they're, where are they now? And there was a guy named Cisco, and he had a hit song about underwear. And again, I'm not going to sing that for you here. Uh, but but Cisco, at one point, like he blew up so fast, and his he accumulated so much money and fame and popularity so fast that that he actually he said there was a time where I was just getting called for every show, and I was welcomed into every club and every. Every person wanted me on their tour, and I just was sure that nothing could touch me. And then one day, you just, like, I kind of forgot about him. And then I saw in the news one day that Cisco, yes, that Cisco, had been arrested for firing two shots at a random car driving through his neighborhood. He'd just been sitting out on his porch drinking a beer with a gun in his hand, and he just fired two random shots off at a car. And thankfully, nobody was hurt, but he'd... He'd been arrested, and so he went from believing there was nothing that could touch him to going to jail for shooting randomly at a car as he drank aimlessly in the middle of the day. And Proverbs 23, 5 says, Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. And that's why it can't just be earn all you can, save all you can. The maintenance will corrupt you and drive you crazy. We must also, crucially, give all we can. We must have open hands with our riches. I <laughs> think about uh, the DuckTales cartoon and Scrooge, in that cartoon, he would dive into his vault of gold, which, you know, as I got older and actually thought about it, I was like, man, you would break your neck if you tried to dive into a pile of gold, um, which... <laughs> Beside the point, but just random things that you realize as you get older. Uh, but he obsessed over uh, earning all he could and saving all he could, and often it was his curmudgeonly hoarding that got that caused the misadventures for the Ducktales crew. It corrupted him and it drove him crazy. He needed to learn to hold on loosely. He needed Jesus' financial advice in the Sermon on the Mount. Store up treasure in heaven because nothing can take your treasure there. You don't have to worry and hoard and fight and scratch and claw for every last dime all the time. Now, here's the thing. I still like stuff. Like, whatever I'm interested in, I go all out on. Some of you know I love to play board games, and you've seen my board game collection. But... What has happened for me is I've gained freedom, the freedom to not hold on tightly, to not feel like I've got to earn and save everything I can, but to be free to give all I can. I no longer allow concerns to keep me up at night about whether or not it's being taken care of and who owes me back what. And I'm just free to give freely what I've been freely given free of the maintenance, free of silly concern about stuff that I can't take with me. And that's our fifth problem here. Money is subject to our mortality. Remember several weeks ago, one of the things that Solomon explored is, man, 
debt is dead. Debt is dead. Like there's just there is no getting around it, and it is the end of all of the pursuits that we have here on earth but one, and that is to know God. So money is subject to that mortality. Verse 15 here says, you leave the world the same way you came in, empty-handed, the same way you were born. That's how you go out, empty-handed. In other words, you didn't come out of the womb with a Louis Vuitton bag in your hand, right? <laughs> Imagine that. You, you didn't come out of the womb wearing an Armani suit or Gucci shoes or whatever. <laughs> That's quite a, I, I've got that image in my head. Uh, that's a hard one to shake. Um, you're going to go out the same way you came in, naked and empty-handed. That's what Solomon says. Um, makes me think of a story I read in the news several years ago. This guy named Steve Smith, which almost sounds like I'm making this up, right? But this is real. That, that's such a generic name. But Steve Smith, he's an um, Englishman. And he and his wife, they made a, a random stop at a shop in London, bought a random lottery ticket and won $38 million. But interestingly, as local news caught up with him, he seemed pretty melancholy about the whole thing. He wasn't sure. And, and here's what came out is he, he wasn't sure how long he'd, or if he'd really be able to enjoy it because he had an aortic aneurysm he had an aneurysm in his heart and uh, so he could go at any time um, and when receiving the check you know at the news press conference where he received this check he told reporters I would give all of it back if I could just stay here with my wife in good health because there aren't any shops in the cemetery are there and that's what he said months Jesus said something similar mark 8 36 what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? The, the, this perspective that we've gotten from Steve Smith, this perspective from Jesus here in Mark chapter 8, that's an important perspective, whether you're receiving a $38 million check, lottery check, or a $500 weekly paycheck. You can't take any of that with you. And there is something more valuable than anything material. That's why I love that story about Steve Smith, sad as it, sad as it is. He's got his priorities in order. He says, listen, $38 million, that's nothing. That's just material. There's something more valuable than material. There's, there's, something, in, there's something in my soul that death will steal from me or that... that Death, death will steal my ability to enjoy this money, but there's one, there's this love in my soul that just I want it to be fulfilled forever. Um, so Solomon muses here that people leave the world no better off than when they came into it, because what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? He says it's like working for the wind. You spend all your life building your assets, and then you die. And dead is dead. And it says he feels discouraged. He feels frustrated. And feels angry about it. The main, the, the point of all this, let me, let me just break this down in conclusion. First of all, in spite of how it may seem, the world is not measured by poor and rich, but by righteous and unrighteous. In spite of how it may seem. Like, we look at the world and it can feel like, man, things are measured by poor and rich. Like, I live in a certain kind of house because of my certain kind of income, and I drive a certain kind of car because of my certain kind of income, so it kind of seems like the world is measured by poor and rich, but that's a lie. The thing, the, the, your life and the world is measured by righteous and unrighteous, because that is what will last. That is what will last, and that's what Solomon's getting at here as he closes out these, this chapter in uh, verses 18 to 20. Um, Proverbs eleven four says it a different way. It says, Wealth is worthless on the day of judgment, but righteousness delivers from death. See, wealth is not eternal. Righteousness is. Our assets on earth is not eternal, but our relationship with God is. Warren Wearsby said it this way. He said, We weren't made to be satisfied by what is in our bank accounts, but by what is in our hearts.
hearts. And this is the title of my message tonight. This is how I'd say it. Satisfaction sold separately. Satisfaction sold separately. See, all that we buy and accumulate, it doesn't come with the batteries. It, the batteries of satisfaction. You know what I mean? If you bought, Have you ever bought Christmas presents for your kids or birthday presents only to open them up and discover they take four uh, D batteries and you don't have any? And it says on the box and you're like, oh, I missed that when I bought it. I didn't even think to check. Batteries sold separately. All these things that we collect, it's the same way with satisfaction, with meaning, with purpose, sold separately. All that we buy and accumulate, satisfaction is sold separately. And so Solomon says, hey, if you can understand this, if you could, if you could just grasp this truth that satisfaction is comes from God alone and not from your resources, not from being defined by poor or rich, then you could accept your lot in life, whether you have a lot or little. You could be content. You could be fulfilled with that. And I, I think of think of this like one of the most frequent inspirationers I see as I go on mission trips with fellow Americans, fellow Westerners. One of the most frequent in, in, inspirations I see people draw from those trips is for them to see how happy people with almost nothing are in these third world countries in comparison to themselves who have comparatively everything. So we go uh, into these third world countries and people who have almost nothing are happier than we are who have dozens of times more than they do. And it just totally rocks our world. And the truth is they've accepted their lot in life and they've chosen and they and they've chosen to value things that are of eternal value maybe they have not yet understood that in con in the context of Jesus but at having nothing causes a person to reevaluate priorities and it leads to a greater happiness because contentment with godly contentment is good contentment with godliness is great gain and so uh but solomon does go on to say if your lot in life is to have things is to have wealth and the health to enjoy it that's totally fine too it's not wrong to have things you don't have to feel guilty for being wealthy having things is fine but don't like i was in college and early on in my married life don't let things have you Paul said in Timothy, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not the root, it's a root, okay? That's, that's a commonly misinterpreted passage because we just read the wrong, uh, the wrong prepositions there. It's a root, not the root, okay? So money is not inherently evil. It's, it's amoral. So it's okay to have riches in your hand, but don't let them in your heart, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Don't let the love of money corrupt you. Hold riches in your hand and give them away freely because you could lose them at any point. That's what Solomon says earlier in our passage. And you can't take any of them with you. Earn all you can, save all you can, but give all you can. Don't let the love of money keep you from living a full, generous life. And if you're not sure, like, do I love money too much? If you want to know what you really love, look at how you spend your money and your time, because time is money, according to our society. Look at how you spend those things, and that will tell you something about your priorities, because Jesus said in Luke 12, 34, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what is the ultimate takeaway in all of this? The key to all of this, the call to action, once again, is to focus on your relationship with God. Everything in this passage flows from him. If you look at those verses, last three verses, it says that the life, that, that, that we can enjoy the life that we have that was given to us by God. And it says if, if you have wealth from God you can and health from God, you can enjoy it. And enjoying your work and enjoying your lot in life, that is also a gift from God. Solomon says here. And then he, he concludes that 
that that these gifts that God gives give people so much delight that they have they don't have time to be miserable about past regrets or present worries. So all of this flows from God. God's generosity flowing down to us, joy flowing out from us, generosity flowing back to him. And that comes from a decision. We have to decide if we will serve God or money because Jesus said we cannot serve both. A good question maybe to ask to sum this all up would be, will your death take you from your treasure or bring you to your treasure? And you don't even just have to think about money in this. Maybe maybe it's a relationship, like a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, children. Will your death take you from your treasure or bring you to your treasure? The call to action in this passage, at the end of this passage, is to focus on your relationship with God so that when you die, you will be going to your treasure. Because apart from a relationship with Him, nothing in your bank account will bring you satisfaction. Nothing in your life will bring you satisfaction. That's sold separately. And you and I cannot afford it. We can't afford the price for satisfaction. We're so warped and so broken, the price is too high to get to true satisfaction. But the good news is that Jesus paid the price for us. And so the key to all of this is to focus on our relationship with him, to, to, dive, to dive deep into our relationship with him and uh, to, to get into his word and to spend time in prayer and to participate in in church community, and to serve, and to give, and, and all of that flows, though, from a relationship with God. It starts with the, with the decision to repent and ask Jesus uh, for the forgiveness that came from the price that he paid, and then it, it is a simple matter of returning the generosity that he has spent on us back to him making him the number one priority above all other things because satisfaction is sold separately and it can only be received by the price that Christ has paid to buy it for us. Heavenly Father, just pray in Jesus' name that anyone who's listening to this, um, anyone who may be struggling with clinging to earthly things, that they would have the opportunity to break free of that um, by your power and by your grace pray in Jesus' name that um, you would give us um, a hunger and thirst to focus on you and to know you and to um, be transformed into your righteousness. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would equip us to grow in our relationship with you, with all, all that we need for life and godliness, Lord. Um, heal our hearts from the love of money. Uh, guard our hearts from worry about money. Um, keep us from the root of all kinds, a root of all kinds of evil. Keep us from the love of money. Help us to see it as another opportunity to glorify you and to build your kingdom. And, and help us just to remember that in all things, the focus is a relationship with you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.